Hi, this is Steve Bascom. I want to give you a heads up on lesson four. Um, this week we're talking about Yeshua on the Torah, Paul, what he said about the Torah, John and the disciples on the Torah as well. And so uh, from a positive standpoint, what did they say? Were they pro-Torah? Um, and the priority is Yeshua, uh, the Son of God. So uh, we're going to go through and look at these. We're also going to see what Paul said about himself, uh, which is really important as you read his letters. Uh, what did he say himself about his beliefs and what he did? And then we have a little time, so we're adding uh, spirit and truth. We're going to talk about a few verses on spirit and truth and on the new covenant. What's new about the new covenant? What's not new about the new covenant? And I am a new covenant believer and happy to say that I am. Uh, so enjoy this week. It's a good one. Thanks. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Yahweh, Elohim, we thank you for uh, power. Uh, thank you for electricity and thanks for uh, an opportunity to uh, have a, a class and fellowship and discussion of important things in the kingdom. And uh, just, Father, just uh, enhance our discussion tonight. My name is Yeshua. Amen. Okay, so... Keep an eye on your notes, maybe keep your Bible open, because we may go to some context things here. So we're going to uh, talk about Yeshua on the Torah. So what did the Son of God say about the commandments? Okay? In terms of a priority, I would put him to the top. Okay? And so sometimes, I think people have been looking at what, actually they haven't been looking at what Yeshua said about the Torah, but if they do, they kind of look through Pauline glasses. And I think, if anything, it should be the opposite. Look at Paul's writings through Yeshua's glasses. That's pretty reliable. Okay? And uh, we're going to start with Matthew 5. So we talked about this a little earlier. We're going to talk about it more extensively. So if you want to go to Matthew 5 and throw some notes on your Bible, I do that kind of stuff. I actually just ordered another exact same Bible. Um, and so, because my binding's messed up. So I'm excited about that. My, the process is going to be to transfer everything I have in my Bible to oh, the other Bible. Oh, boy. Yeah, so well, I don't know what that looks like. Never done it. Yeah. So it's falling apart. Huh? Not another non inspired version. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, no, the reason is, wow. is because I, <laughs> wow, reason, nearly inspired, two reasons, okay, number one, I know where it is on the page, okay, I just do, and the second reason is, if you're going to go and study, then you're going to have to get past the English language anyway, so why try to get the the, the best English version where even the King, Jam, King James translates Pesach. Yeah, sure, sorry. It wasn't, actually. Translates Pesach into Easter. You know, and so there isn't a perfect English version out there, isn't it? And so if I'm going to go deeper, it's going to go, it's be deeper than whatever we have, whatever you've got. Um, but we get a chance to see some cool things. If you remember that, Revelation 22, this was from Lesson 1. So we were looking at that um, verse that talked about washing uh, the robes. And then uh, the New King James Version was keeping God's commandments. Remember that? So you saw how different committees 
translated the same Greek phrase. And so it was pretty cool to see that keeping the commandments is an equivalent to washing your robes or keeping white linens, okay? So cool way to see that if you're comparing different... If you're, <laughs> that would be great. Oh, okay. All right, got it. Appreciate that. So, um, you know, different translations I think are really helpful, the different versions. Just have them sitting there and just go, wow, that says this, and we do that on our Shabbat study. You know, we sit around and we read it out loud, we read the word out loud, and then somebody will say, what? What does your version say? That's crazy. Mine says this, you know? And so then you go, wow, I just never seen it that way. So, and then people have interlinears there and, you know, with their phone. And so you go deeper. And that's, that's what you need. So uh, Matthew 5, we looked at this passage before when we were doing definitions and we talked about light. And as we go into this short piece on uh, the Torah and Yeshua, it was talking about light, light on a hill. Uh, so let's go into the, the, the 517 passage reading a little bit before. Let's review that. So, so it's in red letters, okay? So Yeshua says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we're starting into this discussion of Matthew 5, and he's already seeing that light is good deeds, and good deeds are good, okay? So um, then he goes into, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, so I want to say something right there. Um, there was a, a phrase uh, back in the first century that when the rabbis gave an interpretation of the Torah and it was a bad interpretation that you were damaging the Torah, okay? And you were abolishing the Torah. And I, I'm, I'm searching for the word. If anybody knows it, let me know. But you, uh, if it was a bad interpretation, you're trashing the Torah. Okay? And so, in a very clever way, in a kind of a second-level way, he's saying, I didn't come to trash the Torah. Okay? And so, I came to give, another way to say that is, I came to give a good interpretation of the Torah. Okay? So his life is a good interpretation of the Torah. And so... Like I said before, Moses came with uh, truth. Yeshua came with truth and grace, according to the book of John. And so that's the good interpretation. He came to show us how to keep the Shabbat with grace. Okay? And what did he say? I came to, so that, uh, excuse me, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay? So as we come back into Sabbath and we want to honor him, we need to keep his interpretation, you know, right in front, as frontlets between our eyes, okay? So he certainly came to the Sabbath in a more graceful way than the Pharisees, okay? But he kept the Sabbath. He did not break the Sabbath. If he broke the Sabbath, he's not the Messiah. If he told us, to eat pork, he's not the Messiah. Does everybody get that? Really important. Because he was sinless. He did everything the Father commanded him to do. And so that meant he kept the Torah perfectly. 
And he did it with grace. As he walked through the fields, he grabbed the grains, you know, the heads, and just popped them in his mouth. Nothing wrong with that. And so... Um, did he drink know. wine? I'm serious. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was his first marriage. My father-in-law is yeah. like, he'll try to argue to the end of the day, and I'm like, no, I'm drinking wine the rest of my life, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> he is like, yeah. he's, he was really upset about it. He night. thinks fermentation is sinful. Wow, okay. Got it. And I'm like, it's actually really healthy. I really enjoyed your father-in-law <laughs> on Shabbat. Sweet, <laughs> sweet guy. He's not unique in that. I mean, that was his first miracle, turning the water yes. to wine. Yes. Yeah. But it was great juice, according to Adventists. So many people. Right. Yeah, but he was he accused of being a wine bibber. Yeah. How can you be yeah. accused of being right. a wine bibber if yeah. you never drink wine? Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can make several comments like that. Aaron. That's yeah. actually something I want to learn more about. My New Testament uh, prof at um, Simpson College, his name was Leonard Walmark, and he made that argument. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was just like, it was a different version of, it's like, really? That's why the good wine always is first, you know, and not last? Come on. Well, and then they got drunk. Yeah. And so. And he goes, you know, that was the fermented wine. Well, why would they tell, why would he tell us, do not get drunk? On wine, okay? Yeah. Unless wine is part of the fabric of their society, you know? Well, so, anyway. Passover, which we just had, he says, I will not partake of this again until I do it in the kingdom with you. So that means he actually had been partaking of the wine. Right. Four cups is a lot of wine. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we... Yeah. Yeah. I'm breaking the Torah yeah. if I drink four cups. I agree with you, and I said so at the beginning. I said, pace yourself. You know, we're in for the long haul, so I agree. So here we go. Back to Matthew 5. Okay. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not. Actually, the word I was looking for was destroy. That's what, yeah, that's what you wrote. Yeah. Oh, it's in there. Yeah. I knew I got it it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, cool. All right. So uh, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So. Modern, so the MEV, okay, modern evangelical view, all right, is uh, um, basically says, they'll read that and say, well, abolish does mean fulfill to them. Okay, fulfill and abolish are, are just the uh, same words for them, and, and it's, um, it's just not, not at all. Uh, another way to say fulfill is to fill it full of meaning, okay? Um, and so here's... Here's the context of the previous verse. I did not come to abolish the law. You have to take the Son of God for what he's saying. Okay? Then he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. <clears throat> not everything is accomplished. So part of the argument at modern church is that, hey, it's all accomplished on the cross. Okay? I do not diminish the cross one bit, okay? In fact, that I believe that the approach that we take and the, the, this class um, give deeper meaning to the cross. Uh, but he's coming back a second time, and so not everything's accomplished. It's really basic. It's really simple. Not everything's accomplished. If you're reading Revelation, you know that not all is accomplished. And in fact, let's go to the place where it says heaven and earth will disappear. So let's let's see where it says that. So in uh, Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, etc., etc. So that's when heaven and earth actually disappear. Okay, it's, a, it's not just a, like a hyperbole or a phrase. It's something that's going to happen in the future. So for me, as I look at this, I say, okay, we need physical rules as long as we're physical. Okay, so that's what the Torah is about. It's about how do we treat each other in these rented suit bags that we have. And, um, you know, when, when we're at a point where we actually are with him and are one, um, that may be the time where this is behind us, but we still are going to be operating in those laws. We just don't probably need to have them written down. Okay, But uh, while we're physical, uh, I believe we do. So I think we're going to see this all the way through the millennium, um, and he gets to tell us when, it's, uh, when we, don't no, we no longer need to do this. But I think it'll be because it's uh, part of our character. It's part of who we are. And that's the goal. So, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, soak up that one for a second. You cannot get around that verse. You cannot. So we're going to read it again. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and takes the Hebrew Roots 101 class, <laughs> these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, um, it's right there. It's right in front of us. If you look at that 517 verse in the context of the rest of it, it's self-explanatory. The passage says, anyone who breaks one of these and anyone who teaches others to do the same. So I humbly do not know what Yahweh is going to do with some of the teaching that comes from the modern church. I honestly don't. I, I just... Glad I'm not the judge. And um, it says right there, anybody who's teaching people to break the commands, least in the kingdom. Okay? Whatever that means, that's least. I don't want to be that. Okay? Yeah? Adam? I'm asking this just because I can't get out of my head. I want to keep focusing on everything you're talking about, too. But um, when... And I could be totally confusing a couple stories, but okay. when Jesus talks about... You know, if your neighbor's cattle falls in a ditch, which of you wouldn't go and help them get it right. out kind of a thing if it's on the yeah. Sabbath, right? Yes. So, I guess, how do you, how or how do we um, kind of rectify that with this and what we're learning with this, you know what I mean? Is that the grace? Oh, yeah. That's the grace, right? Well, exactly. And it's basically life first on the Sabbath, okay? I mean, somebody's hurt, somebody, so there's some situation that is a life and death situation. You choose life, mm -hmm. okay? And so um, he's saying choose life. Pull, pull that animal out of the ditch, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So he's telling us what's important on the Sabbath. That's the priority. I mean, but you should Pharisees, heal about the Shabbat. 
But the Pharisees would have judged that. Yes, they exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's why Once he had did. to explain it in those terms. Right. Mm-hmm. So, they so um, law-abiding, but they would they actually not help someone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, if your job is to go around and get animals out of the ditch, that's different. Yeah, Because right. now you're doing your job. You're like, you got to do today, Becky, sorry. <laughs> okay, so just a little something on the board. Here's what happened between Mount Sinai and the cross is you had uh, people, Pharisees, as a great example, just really take uh, the Torah and really took a left-hand turn, okay? Overdid it. Uh, the law is not for salvation. The law is instructions in righteousness, okay? This is what's it do to bless other people and to bless Yahweh. And so then we have... Um, Faith, grace, we'll just put this on the, the other side of the cross, okay? Torah, obedience. So we blew it on this side, and have we, in the last 2,000 years, gone a little off the deep end over here, okay? To me, of course we have, because that's what people do, okay? We take what was here... And if we're two degrees off, all of a sudden we're way off before he came the first time. He needed to bring people back and say, whoa, it's spirit and truth. Okay? And the same thing here, we've overdone faith, grace, spirit. And in the end, in the, in the biggest terms, these two things come together. And there will come a time when people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Well, when they went into captivity, they took on the Talmud when they were in Babylon, right? And that's like 13 volumes of laws. Exactly. And if you read the Talmud, if you have, it's like, whoa, really? This is amazing. I mean, it's... uh, It's out there. Yeah, it's out there. It's worse than you think. It's a yoke. Okay? It's a yoke. So, uh, So he's talking about what came from the Father and what's written, not uh, not what's added. Um. Not that you can't glean some things from some of that stuff, but man, it, it was a yoke. So um, you can also put some other words up here too. You can you can put Jews, Gentiles in the broadest of terms, okay, and bringing everything back together at the end of days. It's really quite kind of simple. It's not overly complex, and uh, we get to dig dig the well that we live in. We get to dig our own wells. We get to search this out and go, wow, okay, I see this. This is what he's doing. I want to be a part of it. And as we correct back into this combination, which I think right before he comes again, okay, with a sword, where we've got this, um, uh, we've got some forerunners that are seeing this that are The prepared bride, and again, man, I'm glad I don't have to, I'm not the judge, okay? But prepared bride uh, that is combining these two, and uh, man, my dad loved the Lord like nobody's business. Died when he was 87 years old in 2010, kept a couple of feasts with us, but he was a traditional, modern um, church guy, and I will see him in the hereafter. Okay, he, was a, he loved the Lord. And he followed as best he could. And we were veiled 
to through this 2,730 year penalty. So it just wasn't what we could see. Um, and so now we're given an opportunity to see, given an opportunity to say, oh wow, I see this, okay? Um, so part of this error, I just wanna say, is that um, people just don't think at all about what they do. Sanctification is kind of out the window. You can do whatever you want, and it's grace, grace, more grace. But man, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about uh, stepping on the blood of the cross. Okay? And that's mocking what he's done for us and just not even caring about walking in obedience. And he desires that greatly, just like a mother or father would desire a child to walk in obedience and how important that is. So, um, that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, the jot and the tittle uh, are actually the, the underlying words there. You think you see that in the King James where it says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. And so that's, I think it's King James jot and tittle, which are two little teeny parts of Hebrew letters. And uh, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he's supporting the law. He's saying, look, not the least bit of it's going away. You know, these are my father's commands. Um, some of his commands... Uh, we can't do because we don't live in the land and we don't have a temple. And so uh, about half of the commands are related to that. So in uh, the few years before his return, some of these things we cannot do. So one of the questions is, well, then what do you do as much as you can? And you participate in as much blessing as you can. And part of the journey is to, to figure out what he, what he means because or what the Torah means, or how do we apply it in 2021, because I'm going to do something really quick. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to come back. Okay? Just take me a second. Just hang on. Okay. Just want you all to know, you're all sinners. Okay? When an elderly man walks in a room... And so has white hair. Oh, we didn't stand up. Y'all are supposed to stand up. Okay? And so that's we don't one of them. Okay. Okay, so we continue. Uh, so. She's a double sitter. Yeah, <laughs> double You're right. Mockery. Yeah, okay, mockery. Uh, anyway, so you see that and you say, okay, wow, what do I do with that? Okay? I've been doing this for 16 years. Never seen anyone honor that. Anyone. Hmm. Not one. Our traditions have, have nullified the commandment. Yeah. Really, so, all I have to say is, I'm not that guy, okay? The Torah gives us a process, and culturally, um, that means, I believe, honor your elders, respect your elders, take care of them, serve them, um, you know, put them first. And that's, that's a great principle. But culturally, that's a strange thing. So I'm just giving you an example of you're reading that. And if you want to interpret that literally, you can. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay? 
Um, it's hard to do, right? And so um, is that a cultural expression of what can I do? He's telling us to honor the elderly. So I'm going to do that, okay? And I try to. Um, but that's a, to give you an example of uh, how literal the law can be and how, wow, that just doesn't, it's not an easy fix, an easy work, a working thing in our culture. Mm. So we, you have to make decisions about the Torah, about that. How literal is it? Oh, am I going to apply super literal over here, but not super literal over here? Okay? And so as you see all his commands, it's actually really cool. It puts a smile on my face because I need his blood. I, I fall short. And we all do. And it's just like what James 1 says. We look in that mirror into the perfect law that gives freedom and into ourselves, and we know that we break it. And... Um, we move on. That doesn't mean that we give up in the instructions in righteousness. We say, okay, i got to figure this out. What does this mean for me, 2021? And I really want to honor him, not just bailing on this command. What does it mean? I want to do what he says. And that's a great process to even consider it and say, okay, what does keeping the Sabbath mean? And um, for some people, that means absolutely no TV, Okay. For some people, that means I relax when I watch a game of golf or something, you know? Or I take a walk, and that's where I walk, and, and uh, I'm with him. So uh, there's some great teachings on keeping the Sabbath and how to do it in grace, but in full meaning. And uh, it's great to consider it. We don't even think about it in the modern church. So we need to pause and say, hey, how do you want me to keep the Sabbath? You've set it apart as the seventh day and uh, a special time to honor him. And there's a few rules, not many. And then you read the different chapters that Yeshua himself spoke about. And, and then you say, all right, I want to give this day to you. And please tell me, show me what you want from me. And you start asking those questions. And the Torah does that. It prompts questions. Um, you'll find yourself closer to the Lord. So those Might rules be. are not, not like that wasn't one you just read in there, right? About standing up with your elders. That is. Oh, yeah. In the Torah? Yeah. That's why I just did that. Okay, okay. Absolutely. I didn't know if it was part of the... No. The, no, it's, it's not the Talmud. That's yeah, not the Talmud. weird ones at all. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of good to know that because it's probably not a bad thing to practice anyways right principle anyway yeah. in principle yeah to honor your elders so you have to ask is this literal is this in principle can i apply this in my culture today so these are good questions these are things that you process through say i want to honor you in every way show me how to do this um appropriately so what i think is interesting is that what we just read he says if you break these you're going to be the least and then he goes on to say if you break them in your heart I mean, so it pretty much convicts every single one of us. Like, right. The self-righteous especially, right? Like, look at how good I am. He just calls you out. Like, Absolutely. Look at that no one in the wrong way. Sin. You're, you're just sinned. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, let's go to Matthew 7, 12. Um, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this is a classic, okay? This is Yeshua, and he's talking about 
Pardon? That's what we tell our kids every day. Right. Sure. That's the golden rule. Okay? And so, uh, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So, he's not eliminating the law and the prophets. He's telling you this is the heart of the prophets. Okay? He's explaining to you the Torah, which is what Matthew 5 and the next several chapters are all about. If you start rereading those things and you read them going, oh, this is Torah commentary. He's actually a Torah teacher and he's telling us how to keep the commands. And in fact, let me just give you an exa- a couple of examples where he's giving you a much more difficult path than just the Torah. Okay? So he wasn't letting us off the hook when it comes to um, an eye for an eye, or when it comes to adultery, you know, look at what he said. He said, um, you know, you've, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, I tell you that even you even think of her. Wow, that is taking it to a whole nother level, okay? And so, uh, you know, a lot of these people that were just keeping the law and just putting their toe over the edge of the line and kind of getting away with that, um, he's saying, no, it's way more than that. I want all your heart. And so um, he actually gives you a tougher definition than the Torah in many respects. So uh, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, this is a, a tough passage Especially when you when you take a Hebrew Roots 101 class, okay, and you start saying, "Really?" I said, "You know, man, wow, who who are these people?" Okay, so not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And I would say to you, yes, there's a will, um, an individual will that He has for our lives, but the general will is the constitution of the Bible. The general will is the Torah, is the instructions in righteousness. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay? Another way to say that is Torahlessness. Okay? And so, for me, here we have this New Testament where he sends out the 70. And he tells them to heal, you know? Um, and we, I, I personally um, love the Holy Spirit. I love the wonders. I love healing. I love prophetic words. I love all of that. But he gives us another spin right here. And he says, obedience is what I'm looking for. That's a huge priority is obedience, okay? And so... Um, There's a balance there between acts of the Holy Spirit and obedience. And he's saying, man, don't get the obedience wrong. Okay? But that's a rough rough verse. I don't know who those people are. I aspire to cast out a bunch of demons. I want to be an agent of healing. I want to do all those things, you know? And it's like, wow, he's saying, hey, all those people, if they're not obedient, depart from me. So he himself is putting a pretty high premium on obedience. Matthew 19. So we talked about this in another section. We'll just hit it briefly. 
Now behold, he came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Sit on that one for an hour or two and try to get your arms around it. It's still, so commandments are life-giving. Honoring your father and your mother is life-giving, okay? Um, Not stealing is life-giving. Honoring elders, life-giving. Even your parents, it says you'll have long life. The longest commandment of the ten. Yeah. And uh, so it's life-giving. It it actually technically, if you could keep the commandments perfectly, you wouldn't need the blood on the cross. Okay? So who's the only one who didn't need an innocent Yeshua himself? Okay? He didn't need that salvation moment. He didn't need the atonement of an innocent to cover you in your sins. So uh, he sees this, he sees keeping the commandments as life-giving, clearly, son of God. He said to him, which ones? You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, false witness. And again, these are all um, 10 commandments. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19. So that's outside the 10. So when you say, well, okay, well, he just meant the 10 commandments. Nope, he didn't. Because uh, that wasn't part of the Ten Commandments. And uh, he never trimmed it down to that. Ten Commandments is a good start. So, Matthew 23, 23. Again, this is uh, Yeshua himself on what he said we should do. Woe to you, teachers of the law. So, right in this section of Matthew, it's the woes. You know, it's all he's woe to the Pharisees. And it says it right here. I don't know what I was thinking for the first 45 years of my life when I read this, but... It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, so that's a tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And usually that's where the quote ends, right? But the next phrase is right there. It says, You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It says it right there so clearly. Keep the Torah with mercy Faithfulness and justice. Quite simple. It's right there. Everybody see that? Question? Mark 7. He replied, Isaiah was right. So again, he's uh, talking about uh, the Pharisees. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. When you become a a denomination that's over 100 years old, it's really easy to slip into that. You know, we've been meeting for 16 years and we have some traditions that we do, that we like. It's really important to keep the barnacles off the side of the ship because all of a sudden something like drinking wine becomes uh, at a place where it shouldn't be, okay? And so you start to uh, be in your own bubble and breathe your own air 
and uh, you lose sight of what he said. Luke ten twenty six. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So, this is a summary of the law, okay? It doesn't mean that all you have to do is love, your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor. What he's doing is saying you have um, these two, two commands. And uh, all of them hang on either loving vertically and loving horizontally, okay? So if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first five are about him. The next five are about people, okay? And so that just fits right in there. It's just more of an expanded, uh, you know, love God, love your neighbor. That's great. Well, you can walk away and say, well, that's all I need to do. Okay, well, what are the details about that? Okay, what do you mean? How do I do that? So he gives us more detail, and then he gives us more detail than that. And so, uh, you know, about 12 years ago, I went through and, and wrote out every one of the commands and, and numbered them what I could. I came up with about 550. Traditionally, it's 613, okay? Um, but some of them seem to be repeats to me. But a good process uh, is to go through, all right, what are they? I'm going to read them all. Just see, see what it says. And then you run across these things about, you know, white hair coming through the door. You go, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, you know. And so, um, anyway, so it's an expansion. It's, he's not eliminating it. He's not saying don't do the Torah. All of the arguments are pro-Torah. Um, so it starts with what is written in the law. Okay? So the argument, that's the base or the foundation. That's the ruler of what the discussion is. If you, don't, if you don't have in common the law that it's a good thing, then you don't have anything to talk about because everything's relative. And there is no definition of sin. And there is no instructions in righteousness. And so what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then he makes comment about it. Luke 11, as Yeshua, Jesus, was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There's his priority. He wants us to obey. What do we obey? How do we bless him? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What are his commandments? I do only what my father told me to do. And in the most basic of terms, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit all have to be 100% in the same page of truth or else we're wasting our time, okay? Either there is truth and there is love and all three are 100% essence of that um, or the equation doesn't work, okay? So somebody who says I'm, I'm led by the Spirit cannot say to themselves, well, I don't have to follow this book. The book, the Spirit, the person, all are the same thing. It's one of the cool things about the definitions week is you start to see, oh, light, love, freedom, word, Yeshua. It's all the same stuff. Love, truth, you know, same thing. 
same thing. You start seeing it everywhere, and it's like, oh, man, it's this oneness that I want to be a part of. So, Luke 16, he said to them, if they do not listen, so he's in an argument. So I'm just putting in here arguments where you can see that he's pro-Torah. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Okay? So, what have we done? Yeah, what have we done with Moses and the prophets? John 5, 46, this is a beauty. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? That's our foundation. It's the foundation of truth is Genesis through Deuteronomy and then Genesis through Malachi are the word in the first century. And I believe in the whole uh, inspired word from Genesis to Revelation. John 10, so he's in an argument and he's saying to somebody, uh, the final word, it's, and scripture cannot be set aside. Okay? I mean, go to some of these places and, and again, there's many more places than this. I'm giving you the top 10, 12 things that Yeshua says on the Torah. Go dig your own well. Go take these and and start working this out for yourself because you have to own this. Otherwise, this is just a class. And this is nice information. John 12, 49. For I know I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. That gives you more of an alignment, you know, talk. And then John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the word uh, were the 10 words on the Mount Sinai and also the, uh, the word on Mount Sinai and the word of Genesis through Malachi. So that's Yeshua on, um, on the Torah. He was totally pro-Torah and he did not break any of the commands. And sometimes you actually run into where people think he broke the Sabbath. And uh, could not have. We're, we're in the wrong room. There's actually brought... a place, in, I think it's in some translations, or, or, or I'm not sure which text, but it actually says, thus he broke the Sabbath. There's right. something like that. Which in is, parenthesis. That, that'd be, that was inserted, obviously, somebody, some, yeah. who knows who. Or... Maybe because he was healing someone or something. Yeah, it was, it was either the, the, the wheat or the yeah, healing. And, and yeah, that's the conclusions that some people... But they're just not thinking it through. Yes, that's not possible. Yeah. I just want to say that all of this kind of comes down to just the relationship with Yahweh and love. Yes. So this is his love language. Like, we all have a love language. Like, you know, we we all do. And this is exactly what he tells us. It's just like, this is how you love me, by obeying and keeping my commandments. So to go back to Matthew 7, it's like, well, I did all these things. But it's like, well, you did, but somewhere you missed the love that I was telling you that I wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was clear on that. So that's it. Any relationship we have, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. It can be with husband, wife, with children, anybody. But it, it really just comes down to that. It's so clear. Yeah. It's just, here's how you love me. Right. That's, that's yeah. it. There's no, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, well, I'm loving you by doing this. You think you are, but you're not. I mean, that's why it makes it so clear. It's not. It's black and white. So, another way to say that, somebody always says it comes up, uh, he, he knows my heart. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do, sure we know, do we know his heart? Yeah, but what about his heart? Yeah, what about his heart? Thank you. Yeah. So, 
you know. So All right. So let's go through number two, the seven defenses of Paul. So we can talk about things like Galatians, Romans 14, Acts 10. Uh, there, there's just all kinds of passages that we could tackle that are like, well, what about this you know, passage? And I could give you um, 10 or 15 minutes on each passage. And so um, just, just know that. And so I'm, I'm taking rather a positive approach rather than kind of a defensive approach. But if you go, I'll, I'll do one here. Let's go to Galatians. Okay, let's go to Galatians 5. When I came into this 16 years ago, um, I heard it via a, over dinner at an Arab Shabbat. So that was a Friday night dinner introducing the, um, the Sabbath. And Audrey and I came home and we were just kind of blown away. And I said, this really spoke to us. And we went home, but we read Galatians through three times straight. Just three times straight. Just going, okay, what's being said here? How does this read in Galatians, you know? And so there's all kinds of assumptions made. If you assume that the Torah was the fabric of everybody's faith, that everybody kept the feast, everybody kept the Sabbath, that was just what everybody did. Because these were expressions of Yahweh, and you want to participate in every expression that he's got. Um, and then they took the, uh, the Torah and they really oppressed the people with it. And so if you go to Galatians 5, you have to look for summaries that Paul uses because he'll use these arguments back and forth and back and forth. And if you just sit on one or two verses, you can go way sideways. But if you go to his summaries and you say, all right, I'm looking for his summary. Where is it? I just, I'm telling you, you will get Paul uh, better. Okay, so here's what he says um, in 5.4. It says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. And that's the, one of the key verses in Galatians. You who are trying to be justified by law. Okay, I just want to encourage everybody that, um, man, this class, uh, myself, uh, you, you just were not trying to be justified by the law. Can't be done. We know that. But we certainly want to keep his instructions in righteousness. Okay? And so that's the key verse where it comes to. These guys were trying to get them under a salvation by works. And also, they were doing something that actually is still done today. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, right after I went to Israel, my brother sent me an article about how to go to Israel. And if you go to Israel... You have to know the right rabbi, you have to get the right letter, and you go through um, a process according to this um, letter of Hadafat Dambrit, okay? So Hadafat Dambrit means second circumcision, okay? And so they actually would have to go to the right rabbi back in the first century in Jerusalem. They were trying to convince them to come back under the rabbi, and they would do a second circumcision. So all that means is you would have a moil who would sharpen their pinky, okay, and take one drop of blood, okay, from your covenant flesh, okay? And, uh, and that one drop of blood is what was necessary for a second circumcision, okay? So when you see this circumc circumcision, schmircumcision, okay, see, Paul is just really upset. He's going, you guys are obsessed with circumcision, we don't even know the context of how bad it was. 
that you would have to have a second circumcision under the right rabbi and the right moil to come underneath the right guy. Or even now, if you want to get to, to Israel, that's part of the process, okay? Even today. So uh, I'll leave it at that, but there's layers of things that we don't understand about the context and circumcision specifically that, um, you know, they were, those guys were mutilators of the flesh. You know, that's what Paul called them. And um, that was part of it. So it's funny you brought that up, and this could be something that we can discuss at another time. I know you'll let me know. Um, circumcision is a Levitical law. However, we right. chose not to, and I would never. Right. Because of what we have studied and researched into, my husband is a physician, and different things on how it can affect the emotions okay. and how it's a form of genital mutilation in different countries. So is that something that you think is still applied today, like so, along with? So here's, so you go to Acts 15, okay? So one of the things that is part of the process of all of this, like, okay, yeah. wow, I want to participate in every instruction in righteousness I can, okay? Um, I, I circumcise my sons, okay? Right. And um, that's the command to circumcise your sons on the eighth day, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, the main priority is to circumcise your heart, okay? And so that's what he's after. And uh, as you read Acts 15, uh, it talks about circumcision as well as Galatians. And you have to decide in your own mind, you know, he's absolutely, I have a circumcised heart. That's what he's after. Mm -hmm. And so there are books written on what you just asked. Mm. Even in the Messianic community, the mm -hmm. Hebrew Roots community, about pros and cons. Um, and you have books on either side of that issue. So part of digging your own well and part of saying, okay, I want to follow him in every way I possibly can. Right. And uh, the main priority is a circumcision of your heart. Uh, and anything beyond that, you've got to decide. And, and Acts 15 is part of that right. decision, and you can read that in a couple of different ways. Mm. Okay. So let's go to uh, the seven defenses of Paul. So one of the things about Paul is that if you understand what he says about himself, you will understand his letters better. Okay. So in the last half of uh, Acts, you'll see him talk uh, to seven different entities and he gives a testimony of his faith. And we'll see what Paul says about himself and what he did with the Torah. Okay? And then we'll go to some of his passages. And we'll go to some of these summaries that I was just talking about. And uh, I think it'll be helpful. So Acts 22. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. So that doesn't say a lot yet. That's just the first one of his testimonies to tell you who he was and how he grew up. Uh, the next one, it, and it, each one of these things, interestingly, says who he's talking to. Paul, Acts 23, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, 
I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Okay? So I think that means that he was, uh, he's been obedient. Okay? And obedient to, his, to the Torah as best as he could. But he gets more specific. Acts 24. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can note of this fact that no man more than 12, no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple, nor in the synagogue, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. Here we go. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. So he himself is aligning with the Torah completely. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And then he says right after that, Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. So if you go back to that Acts 24 passage, and I would encourage you to just reread the context of that, he's saying, I went to Jerusalem and offered sacrifices. Okay. And um, we just kind of overlook that, that this is a um, minimum of 25 years after Yeshua's death on the cross. And, uh, and he talks himself about what he did. Um, let's go to Acts 24. Mine says, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. Okay? So when you're bringing offerings, that means you are bringing a praise sacrifice. You know, you're going to offer a couple of turtle doves and say, I love you, Lord. Uh, and he's not saying sin offering here, okay? But there were many, many different offerings, not just the um, sin offering. And these were honoring to Yahweh. Now, do I want to be... Uh, I'm not making some big theological case here, okay? He's, you know, Yeshua came as a once-for-all sacrifice. I get that. Um, I'm going to do what he tells me to do, okay, bottom line. And so when I see something like that, I say to myself, huh, wonder what's gonna, what the millennium's going to look like, okay? And there's a couple of verses that would indicate that uh, we're certainly going to be keeping the feasts in the millennium. And uh, there's a couple where sacrifices are given. And I don't know what to do with that. I've read Hebrews, <laughs> you know. And I uh, understand that Yeshua's once-for-all offering was once-for-all. Um, but there are different, many different offerings. And so maybe those are for praise. Maybe that's what Paul did, Paul did there. And then also, uh, there's a section in Acts 21, which we're going to come to. Um, and I think that's going to be, what do they do in the first century? So that's going to be next week. But Paul came and uh, did sacrifices to support a Nazarite vow. And so that's interesting. Either this guy is a complete liar and a hypocrite, or he still believes in the Torah. Okay? Along with Yeshua being the Messiah, and also uh, uh, just couldn't stand what the Pharisees were doing to the faith. Um, 
So you have some passages like this, which um, I'm reading, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, uh, I'm here to do your will. And wow, Paul is doing a sacrifice in Jerusalem 20 years after, after the death of Yeshua and resurrection. Interesting. Okay? We don't know what the type was. But he was saying he's presenting offerings. I was ceremonially clean. We don't have a temple right now, so we don't have to worry about this. Yeshua's coming back before the temple's going to get built. And so we get to ask him. And um, so I don't worry about this passage, but I note it. And I note this, and it's like, what is Paul saying about himself? Acts 25, um, verse 8, to Festus, while Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law or the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. So again, he's aligning himself with Yahweh's instructions in righteousness. Acts 26, 19, he's talking to King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. This is a really interesting line. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. There's your faith and works combo. And uh, it couldn't be any... It couldn't be represented any better by the Passover when Moses is telling the Israelites to place the blood on the door. So here's this act of faith, and here's this act of faith. Okay, So it's an act, but it's faith. And so we have those decisions in our life all the time. And it's this beautiful combination of spirit and truth, um, faith and works, um, definitely saved by faith, but we show our faith by our deeds. And um, that's a great process to try to walk through all of our lives. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify small and great alike. I say nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, but the Messiah would suffer, and as for the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So the sixth time he gives his defense Acts 28, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. So he says it again. Uh, and then in Acts 28, but we want to hear from you what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Yeshua. And so, again, I would love to have heard what he said there. Stories of Joseph, of Moses, Joshua, the feasts, the prophecies, all of that is what he would have used. And more, more that we haven't seen and that we've forgotten about or something. So it would have been great to have seen that. So these are Paul's uh, summaries about him, excuse me, his defenses about himself. These are his testimonies about what Paul thought about himself. Pretty important. So if you get who he was, he was not opposed to the Torah. And you're going to see this in his, in his summaries, and we just end up in the middle of his arguments rather than at the end of the summaries. And so John, let's go to Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to turn there to, to read a little before. Everybody got quiet when I talked about Paul keeping a sacrifice. Yes. Okay, right. 
I'm just reading it. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. And uh, he'll clarify all that. As a practical matter, we don't have to worry about that issue. He died as a once and for all sacrifice. I believe that with all my heart. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here today. And then are these other sacrifices having, have any value? Are there things that we don't understand because culturally we're just so apart from that? Uh, I do leave some room for that. And say, so, okay, I'm going to be instructed by Yeshua when he gets here. So we don't have to worry about that right now. But there's a couple of verses in here that go, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Um, Romans 3. Okay. Uh, famous kind of argument passage throughout the whole thing. And he, and he says in here, um, he did this to, to demonstrate his justice. This is chapter 3. Um, at the present time, when, when, where there is their boasting? Is, and then he goes, is God the God of the Jews only? Is not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles. So this is the end of 3. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, that's a good comment for you, Anna. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And we've all read that verse, but he means it, <laughs> okay? He means that he's upholding the law, uh, and that's the Torah. Um, and that's the kind of summary that he does right at the end of his argument. So let's go to, back to Galatians 3.21. Actually, we can just read it off the notes. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. Second um, Peter 3, 11 to 17. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed in his coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, one of the other places where it says that phrase. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace. So he's encouraging, you know, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter here, is encouraging um, people to be spotless and blameless. And then Peter's going to make comment about Paul, okay? So this is... Uh, it's a rare moment to look at what Peter thought about Paul. And then he says, He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them, speaking in them the letters, of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you not, may not be carried aware, away by the error of the lawless, Okay, and fall from your secure position. Your secure position is that you are a Torah-keeping, covenant-keeping person. That's the security, because you know that if you're an obedient son, there's security in that. And so, um, I mean, Peter says it in the first century, uh, 2,000 years later, out of context, we certainly have done the same or worse to Paul's letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And then Peter explains it. Don't be carried away by the error of the lawless. Okay? So that's Peter's view. The three closest people to Yeshua, and this is important to keep in mind, are Peter, James, and Paul. 
and John, excuse me, Peter, James, and John were the inner three. And so um, they were, and the reason they're called that is that they were alone with him in several different venues at Gethsemane and at the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And then there was a, a healing, the daughter of Jairus, I believe. And those the three of them were with him alone. And so they get um, kind of extra care and uh, reverence because they were the, the inner three that were closest to, to Yeshua. So, um, so pay, pay attention to what they say. Peter, Peter James, and, and uh, John. Uh, they have a lot of, lot of good things to say about Yeshua and the, the Torah. So let's talk about John on the Torah. Okay? So in 2 John, it says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. That's John talking, okay? Pretty clear. It's really clear. Um, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So I love that he adds that, because if you're walking in commands without love, you're not getting it. Um, you can make some of the things that I'm talking about stink. Okay? You can make a Sabbath kind of stink. You can make the feast stink. And you can lord it over people. You can have an attitude about it. You can be arrogant about it. And um, I would just encourage anybody who is considering walking in these ways to not do that is exactly opposite of what he's telling us to do. That we do these things in love. And we do these things because we love the Father and we love other people and with humility. And if you can't do, um, can't keep the feast, can't keep the Sabbath, and without doing that, then maybe you just shouldn't. I might take that back, what I just said. But <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying... <laughs> Do it in love, okay? And that, that must be where Matthew 7 comes into play, right? Sure. Because they thought they were, but they never knew you. Yeah. So spirit and truth. Um, I'm adding a couple of things on the end of this because, you know, it's 7.20, and uh, that period, that little section, it doesn't take us that long. So I wanted to add on a couple of sections to this particular week. And talk about spirit and truth a little bit more. Um, there's some great passages that don't get emphasized about spirit and truth. One of them is Ezekiel 36. So this is Old Testament. And it's right before that famous passage of Ezekiel 37 where it talks about the two sticks coming together. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of, remove you your. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isn't that interesting? So, um, you know, heart of flesh, heart of stone. Ezekiel's talking about this. Jeremiah talks about it before the New Testament. Okay, Peter preached that famous um, sermon in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. 
and he's quoting from these places. And uh, this one here, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isn't that interesting? You said the Greeks took away, or the Greeks changed it from Torah to law? So, when you go to Greek, the Greek translated word is nomos, okay? okay? So it's the closest thing that they could get to Torah, okay? Because there isn't any other place where mostly a predominant culture was at the base of a mountain and heard directly from God what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's called the Torah in Hebrew. All right? Okay. So how to explain that in one law, excuse me, one word in a different language is difficult. Mm -hmm. And so the Greeks used nomos, which is law, and we use the same thing. And it just, that word does not fully translate in one word to another language. Can we also say instructions? Yeah. Yeah, instructions in righteousness is, is what the, the Torah means. That's mm -hmm. the best thing. And when we, you say law, a lot of people have oh, a yeah. viewpoint, but if you say instructions, I think it feels mm -hmm. very different. Oh, God's giving us. Yeah, it's telling us how to live. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so the Spirit is not opposed to the law. In fact, uh, I can say this in my own life. And I just, I just talked about uh, sanctification, wa watching sanctification occur in some people. And, and then a, just a bigger dose in my life in the fall. And it just makes you want to be obedient. And um, that's, that was a move of the Holy Spirit on these different people. And um, that's just what happens. The, the world starts to fall off of you and you just want to follow him intensely. And everybody, I hope, knows what that feeling is like in your life. And just, man, I just, I love what is good. I love truth. I can't stand this, the lying and the darkness that's around me and all this sin. It's just awful. And I want to follow him with all my heart. And uh, man, uh, this, the Holy Spirit is what causes you to have those feelings, mm -hmm. is what causes you to have those thoughts. And so... Um, you want to become more obedient. You say, I know this is right. I, this is what I want to follow. I want to get as close as I can to Yeshua, to the Father, through the Holy Spirit. And uh, those things are not opposed to each other at all. At all. Uh, and hopefully, people that have been uh, deeply immersed in the Spirit are also deeply motivated to be obedient. And I have found that to be true a lot with people you know, people that are um, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit have a great desire to um, be obedient. And the deeper you go in spirit, the deeper you want to go in truth. Um, and I hope that's the case. Uh, but the Bible certainly supports that. Romans 8, 5 to 7 is another passage. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So here's the next verse, which, which doesn't get quoted very often, okay? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. So in that section, that first half of Romans 8, which gets quoted sometimes, and people say, oh, no, I'm led by the Spirit. I don't, I don't even want to talk to you. you know? It's like these are not opposing concepts.
concepts. They can't be. Okay? Again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Word, all have to be aligned. It's all got to be one. Otherwise, you have division in the camp. Um, and you, you, yeah, well, leave it at that. First John 3. <laughs> Dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Yeshua, the Messiah, to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Spirit, truth, commands, oneness with him. Same stuff, same stuff. And I would just say in that list of things that we had up there, about prayer, tithing, um, Bible study, all of these things as we connect with God in every possible way we can. These things were a priority to him. And so if they were, I want to be on the same timeline. I don't want to be keeping the world's peace. I want to be keeping his peace. Pretty simple to me. When I finally got that 16 years ago, it was not a long conversation. I get it. Okay, and so uh, Revelation 12, um, this is also a spirit and truth, a couple of verses. It's actually throughout Revelation. You see it more subtly, but these are the couple of verses where it's uh, most evident. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her, of her offspring those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Yeshua. And then right across the page in my nearly inspired version, it says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people who keep his commands and remain faithful to Yeshua. So Bible knows about this last generation. In fact, the Bible is mostly to us and obviously it's to everyone. But you look at all the uh, prophets and the prophets are talking about the generation of his return a lot. And so once you kind of understand what time it is, where we are, and that, hey, we're right here, and that we're forerunners, he's looking for a prepared bride, what does that mean, walking in spirit and truth? Um, wow, it just gets exciting. I want to be a prepared bride. I do not want to be found with my lamp empty. Do not. And um, this for me, has brought a greater depth of relationship with the Lord, intimacy, his timing, and I don't even know how to describe that, but man, if you're keeping his feasts, you just understand his return all the better. You can't really get a good grasp on his return without the feast being included in that. And so that's a basis for making um, good decisions about that. And, and to, to see clearly about it. To me, it's like the feasts are the bridge between the law and prophets because the feasts are about prophecy. They are. It's commanded to keep them, so that's the law. So it's like the bridge to keep it together. And, and throughout this, we keep reading the law and the prophets. It's the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. And why do we read about the two witnesses? And many people think it's Moses and Elijah. Moses was the law, and Elijah was the prophets. And I, I really think that 
that that's the key. Right. Those are the two witnesses, is the law and the prophets. And, and what does the modern-day churchianity celebrate? That they're done away, right? You don't have to keep the law. And they really don't look at prophecy a whole lot either. And they, they give gifts about it. They, they celebrate it. We don't have to do it anymore. So um, obviously I agree that I mean, the, main, the main things that people do um, who are in the Hebrew Roots Movement are keep the Sabbath, keep the feasts, and eat clean. And then you saw me walk out the door and come back in. Okay, so if you're if you're kind of getting, if, <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Right, that was awesome. You can't say no one did. You're in, Adam. You're in. So. So do real Jews? Real Jews. Jewish people. Do they? They keep they keep all the biblical feasts. Um, they don't keep uh, first fruits. It's not even on their calendar anymore. If you actually look at a Jewish calendar, you'll see an absence of first fruits uh, on modern right. Jewish calendars. That makes sense. So, do but, they still sacrifice animals? Um, not yet. You don't have a temple, so they would, you know, per protocol, that would have to be done at the temple, and so no, they do not. They're starting to practice it, though. Right. So, they're, yeah, they're practicing for that event. So, let's get back to Revelation. I just want to mention a couple things. There's a few other places in Revelation where um, you see other references to spirit and truth, keeping the commands and the testimony of Yeshua. Even in the first uh, chapter, first few verses, and it's, it's sprinkled throughout Revelation. So again, it's prophetic. It's the future. And we're talking about believers um, that the enemy hates the most. And they're keeping his commands and keeping the testimony of Jesus, Yeshua. The revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach, which God gave him to show his servants of what soon may take place. This is Revelation 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach. So you see this word and Yeshua uh, seen several times. It says it again in verse uh, 15, same chapter. So you see it throughout Revelation and you start going, when you start realizing that the Torah was part of the fabric of the faith and that once you try to rip the Constitution out, you're just ripping a, a huge chunk out of it. Um, read the New Testament, assuming they all kept it, and it just reads different. Read different for me and how I grew up, that's for sure. So, let's talk about the New Covenant. Um, so, we'll be out here by 8 tonight, a little earlier. And uh, the New Covenant that gets quoted, you know, in Hebrews 9, 8, 9, 10, um, is from Jeremiah 31. So, it's important that you understand what's in Jeremiah uh, 31. And so, we'll, we'll read it. And it's in the notes right on page 21. It says, The days are coming declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Okay, so it's important right there to note who it's to. Okay, so people of Israel, people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Okay, so that's Mount, Mount Sinai. Okay, I will be, be your God. You'll be my people. You'll do everything I say. So, just so you know what that means, where was the old covenant consummated? 
and that would be Exodus 19. So we're going to stop for a second and just go back there, just so everybody has is on the same page, a clear understanding. This is where the Old Covenant was agreed to, and you need to know this. So it's easy. It's one chapter before the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is found in Leviticus 20, okay? And so, I'm sorry, excuse me, Exodus, Exodus 20, sorry. Uh, so if you go to Exodus 20 and then one chapter before Exodus 19, um, and it's not in your notes, so I'm just going back to review with you where the Old Covenant was consummated. So Ten Commandments are the summary uh, of the covenant, but right before that, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so that people could look, side comment here, so that people could look on what the people of God look like. So, oh, this is what he means. This is what I'm supposed to do, okay? These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people, set before them all the words that Yahweh had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything Yahweh has said. Okay, that's it. So that's the, that's the betrothal, okay, right there. And so they're engaged, which is a, a legal standing, Okay, it's like being a married couple, but you're not quite yet, but you've agreed to it. And so that's a legally binding thing in that culture. And so that, um, Exodus 19, is where that was consummated. And that's what they broke. And you can see with the northern ten tribes and what they did. They were worshiping five other gods, all the sins of Jeroboam. They changed the location of the temple. They changed the times of the feasts. Uh, he changed the priesthood all that stuff, and it was just awful. They were just completely lawless. And so these, this is what he's responding to, okay? And it will, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. So we want to know how we are part of Israel, okay? Because we're part of the new covenant. And so what does Paul say in... Ephesians chapter 2, he says, we used to be Gentiles, now we're part of the commonwealth of Israel. Okay, that connects us with the promises and the covenants, and that's our identity. Okay, so we're part of Israel, or we're not part of this covenant, according to Jeremiah 31. Okay, so we're attaching ourselves to his ways and his people. We're part of his people. We're adopted in. So it says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So you keep hearing that phrase repeated all through scripture. And then verses 34 to 38 show the results of this new covenant. And it's three things that haven't happened yet. Okay? And so all I'm saying is, people sometimes refer to the point of the cross as this is the new covenant, this is it, it's all over, done. And I would just say to you, like many other things that are in scripture, it's a process, not a point, okay? And so this is what it says, this is what scripture says itself. 
It says, when I put, I put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, okay, these three things will have happened. Not all, excuse me, that everyone will know Yahweh, that Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and that there will be peace in Jerusalem. And so these three things haven't happened yet. We don't all know Yahweh. Jerusalem is not rebuilt yet. And there is not peace in Jerusalem. Okay? And so reread that yourself and look at Jeremiah 31 a little bit more carefully and go, huh, this process of the new covenant, uh, some of these things have not come to fruition yet. Um, and one of the things that is a wonderful part of the new covenant as described in the book of Hebrews is that we have a better sacrifice. Hallelujah. Amen. I would rather have the blood of a completely innocent, divine God-man who has experienced what I've experienced as a sacrifice for my sin than a cow. Okay? And a high priest that had to just be sacrificed for himself in order to, to be justified to make the sacrifice uh, on the Day of Atonement. So you have a better sacrifice, Yeshua himself. You have a better priesthood, who's an eternal priest and a sinless priest, and a better operating system, the heart. Okay, And so what's the same in the New Covenant? The Torah. Okay, If you just read this, let's read it again. It says... I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. Torah didn't go away in the New Covenant. So I hear people say, oh, I'm a New Covenant believer. Was that a license to sin? You know? And so, yeah, I am super grateful I'm a New Covenant believer. I want to be part of every one of those things. I get it. Bad, better sacrifice, better priesthood, better operating system. And so... To me, if he's trying to get the Torah off of the stone and onto their hearts, how would he do that? Work of the Holy Spirit? And then even in some teaching, if you think about what he said about the adultery thing, he's saying, okay, it's saying this about adultery, but I'm saying if you even think about it. So to me, he was taking a moment of teaching and trying to move them off of their stone view of the law and get it onto their hearts so they would actually care about it, would care about not adultery, that would go further and it would just invade their mind also, not just this exterior thing. Well, as long as I didn't do that, well, I'm okay. I think that was kind of what Jimmy Swaggart said, you know, when he had his moment, you know. And so uh, just missing the point. And the point is that we have a great desire to follow him and follow him with wholeheartedness. So that's the, you know, the new covenant um, is absolutely wonderful. And uh, the thing that's the same is the Torah. Still there, written on our hearts. Um, so I, I also have a, a sheet attached to your notes uh, today that is uh, on the Sabbath. And so these are just some basic uh, observations. There's a quote from the Catholic Church that talks about how they, they are the ones that changed the Sabbath and they didn't do it because of Scripture, because there's nothing in Scripture that would have them change the Sabbath to a different day. And they did it by the authority of the Pope. 
And it's kind of a so there statement. And so that's what we've kind of signed on to. It's, um, we just, you know, we're protestant. We're protestant Catholics. We, we're, we're saying, hey, we're not doing this, this, and this, but we're still doing some of the other things that were instituted by the Catholic Church. And that would be feasts, okay? And that would be Sabbath. It's actually quite a bit. And so we don't do those things because, oh, those are Jewish. Well, what did the Catholic Church do to us? They took us off of his calendar, and they took us uh, to places where um, are, are not in full alignment with him. Okay? So we're returning back to these things. And again, and this, is the, this is the map. We're saying, hey, wait a minute, time out. There's just a bunch of people all over the world. There's no coincidence that most of them are in the United States because we're the ones that are from the West. And I think that's where, um, well, he's certainly calling us back from the West. So here's the largest population in the West that's been doubly prosperous, that's also um, communicated the gospel better than any other nation for 150 years. Haven't done so well of late. But uh, we've done some things to be proud of and some other things where we're lost prodigal sons. Uh, we've woken up. We're returning back to his ways. And um, it's really cool. In the process, if you can smile in the process and go, oh, wow, what do I do with that? You know, um, It's a great process. And it, it actually, it's part of circumcising your heart as you go through and ask yourself these questions about, okay, what do you want me to be doing about this and why I've been following these other things and why would I do that when you have commanded feasts that are the story of salvation? Uh, when he's intervened in our in the world's lives, and I'm stealing part of week uh, seven, which is the the feasts. Uh, week six, I think. I'm sorry, week six. So we'll talk about the feasts uh, in week six and uh, what they're about. And from a macro standpoint, you know, we just had a micro yesterday and the night before, which was participating in it and walking it out. Sometimes it's helpful to take a couple steps back. And so, oh, wow, this is, here's where he's talking about the father. And here's Yeshua and here's Yeshua and here's Yeshua. And he's just all through the feasts. And then you've got the fall feasts that are coming. And so the story is great and they're commanded of him. So why in the world are we not doing them? You know, why have we taken other stuff that is um, part of the world. It's what the world does. If you look at what we do and say, is the world doing the same thing? You start to ask yourself, like, why, why, why am I still, you know, Christmas has become a pretty worldly event and, and its origins are not great.